it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight is episode 184, and we're going to return to a subject we have not talked about in a little bit. We're going to get you all jazzed and excited about dividends. Yeah, that's it, dividends. So I'm going to turn it over to the Derp King himself, my friend Andrew, and we're going to start talking about some dividends. Andrew, take it away. Well, the only thing I can promise is there will be one person excited about dividends, and <laughs> outside of that, uh, <laughs> no more promises, because, you know... When it comes to the stock market, dividends are not the most exciting thing. And I get it, right? Especially in a market environment like now, you have a IPO like DoorDash to go up 50%. In how 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 fast do they go up 50%, Dave? You, you five days. Five whole five days. days. Okay. So obviously, old folks like me um, who invest money in the old way, very boring way, don't know what they're doing. And, you know, you see these big gains and, and really crazy price appreciations from a lot of different stocks. And so it can become very hard to get excited when you look at a dividend paying stock and you see a yield of, you know, 2% or 3%, you compare it to some big return percentages and you're like, I don't get it. Why, why do you get excited about 2% a year? And so I want to try to break that down, make it simple and hopefully give my viewpoint on it so you can maybe conceptualize it for yourself. And then as you apply it to your portfolio and you start to see those numbers grow and you start to see it accelerate over time, it doesn't happen overnight, but as you start to see it do that, then you can start to get why dividends are so exciting, particularly if you can link that in with the right type of company and the right businesses. Really, if you can get in with the best businesses, they're the ones who are going to give you the most bang for your dividends buck. So dividends, very simply, when you buy a stock, you're buying part ownership in a business. And so as an owner, you get dividends, which is a part of the profits that a company makes. And when they distribute those profits to the shareholders, it comes out in a dividend. So if you go on Yahoo Finance or, you know, it's like been so long since I've been to any other like basic financial website. I don't know what the other ones would be. Does Google Finance even exist anymore? 
Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I haven't used Google in years. Right. So I know they used to have a great platform. They don't anymore. But I would assume whatever platform you use, you should be able to look up a stock ticker. And on there, they'll show you you know, stock price. And a lot of times you'll see dividend yield. And so what that dividend yield is telling you is that, okay, if I'm buying a stock at $25 a share, and if the dividend yield is 2%, well, I'm going to pay 25 bucks to get this stock, and I will get 2% of my capital paid back to me as a dividend, and that will be over a one-year time frame. And in general, that will continue, and it tends to grow over time if you pick the right companies. So that 2%, what gets exciting about it is not that you got that you made 2% on your money for a year. That would be a pretty bad return. What gets exciting is what that can do over the life of your investment. Because you know, if if you buy a stock and it goes up, let's say 15%, you have to sell it to get that 15% gain, and then you have to put it somewhere else if you want to make more money on it. What's great about dividends and a dividend paying stock is let's say we're investing something small like $25. You just put that $25 in once and then you get a steady stream of payments year after year after year. And many, many companies grow that. So, you know, if you get a small little bit your first year and then the next year, a little bit more and then the next year more and it grows, grows and expands. That's something that's very, very cool for something you did once and didn't have to do ever after that. And and what really becomes magical is when you start to reinvest it. So I wanted to give an example. Um, this is the best performing stock I've had in the e-leather portfolio so far. My best stock so far I've ever bought has been Microsoft. And you know, I wish I did that for the e-leather too. But can't cry over spilled milk. So I bought this stock, LRCX. It's a technology stock. And I must have bought it, ooh, I think it was 2015. Yeah, 2015. So when I bought it, I bought two little bitty shares. And I paid, I'm looking at my brokerage account now, I paid $146.77 for two shares of Lamb Research. And so the very first dividend I got from this company was 60 cents. So I, I, I get people who say all the time, you know, they don't understand why something so small can be so exciting. And it's again, because as time goes on, these dividends grow in scale. And if you reinvest the dividend, you're like putting more, more fire into the flame and, and really allowing it to grow. And what that does is it creates a force that's called compound interest. So you can picture it by saying like if you were in a white winter land and you were trying to build a snowman and you built a nice little snowman and then you decide you wanted it to get bigger. So you started pushing the snowman and started rolling it and then you pushed it down the hill and saw saw it roll down the hill. So what you would have to do to get it started is you would have to put a lot of effort into first building the ball and then rolling it down the hill. But as it continues to roll down the hill, it starts to accumulate more and more snow. And then as it gets bigger, it, that acceleration goes faster and faster. 
And that's what compound interest does. And that's how dividend reinvestment can work too. It's, it's called drip for short. And all you're doing is you're just collecting the dividends that a stock pays you. And then you're just putting that money back and buying more shares of that same stock. So again, I started with a, a 60 cent dividend. As the years go on, that started to grow and the company was growing as well. So they started to pay a higher and higher dividend on that. So if I, I got paid 60 cents the first time, I got paid, I'm looking now in each year, you know, so I got two dividends in 2015 because I bought this thing in around the beginning of the year. And so the first year I got a dollar and 20 cents. And then the next year it was $2. And then the next year, three, the next year, six. And then I, I bought another share. By the next year, it was nine. So you see how I'm getting the same number of dividend payments, right? I'm getting four dividend payments. It's the same stock, but because I have two forces working together to grow the dividend payment and grow the number of shares I have, which allows me to get more of a dividend payment, you start to get this big compounding effect. And so over the life of my investment in LAM research, remember it was just $150, uh, I collected $23 dollars and 24 cents in dividends and then when i ended up selling the stock after it appreciated by a lot those shares that i dripped ended up netting me 37 dollars and 96 cents on top of the what was it four five hundred dollars i made in total from selling the stock so a, a huge return and so you can see how the dividends i received in total what I got when I sold the stock at the end was actually much more. And that's because even though you're, you're getting dividends in, the amount that you sell those dividends for because you've reinvested into drip shares becomes that much more. And, and you can see how that small first little baby 60 cent dividend can turn into something like almost $40 worth of drip shares because I let the thing compound over time, I added another share in I think 2018, and 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 the company did really well and kept and kept raising their dividend over time. So that was just one kind of simple example of where I got really excited about dividends to see it in action. And I didn't really even hold the stock all that long. This was only a what is it three, four, five year period. Imagine this on a 10 or 20 year period and you could really, really see some drip shares. Maybe I can, maybe I can update on my one share of Microsoft I bought and we can, we can talk about it in 15 years. And, and I bet you we would be talking about multiples of whatever that first dividend payment was. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I mean, listening to that story gets me excited thinking just about the fact that you made all that money for literally doing nothing. You bought the company and you held on to it and you made all that money. And for the $150 of an original investment, if you had left that in a savings account, you would have made 14 cents <laughs> or right. something along those lines, you know? So that's, again, just the, the, the power of of dividends. I, I was thinking about 
one of the companies that I bought not too long ago, that's a REIT and it pays a dividend of $2.65 a year. And so I bought 10 shares. So at the end of the year, I'm going to make $26 from that company for literally doing nothing. And if I take that same investment and put it in the savings account and just leave it there for a year, I'm literally going to make 10 cents. And so just the the power of dividends, and we're not even talking about any sort of reinvestment and the compounding that you were talking about. I'm just talking about one simple investment for a company, one company that I will make just that little bit amount. And the more you invest in the company, obviously, the more I would make. But I think that just illustrates just the kind of the power that you can get from from those kinds of things. And I mean, think about what you can buy for twenty six dollars. Uh, what you could buy for 40 bucks. I mean, that's, those are, it's not, it's not chump change to start with those things. And as you said, as it, as it grows and it builds and it compounds, uh, it just illustrates again, the power of, of dividends. And another thing that I wanted to throw out there too, is we talk a lot about total returns and what kinds of returns people can make in, in the market. And, by and large, over the last hundred years, the stock market has returned between eight to 10%, depending on who you talk to. And of that percentage, around 2% is from dividends for that time period. So those, it's big numbers and it's, it has a huge impact. And the other bonus that I guess I haven't really thought about until just now is it's free money that the company is willing to give to you for the privilege of owning a piece of that business and who doesn't want free money? I mean, it's, I do. (laughs) I mean, I work hard for my money just like everybody else does. And if somebody else is willing to give me a little bit extra, I'm, I'm going to be right there to partake of it. Uh, Yeah. Sign me up too. Obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with it. And depending on what study you look at and what timeframe they're looking at, I've heard studies when, when they look back after like a, a really bad bear market or a stock market crash. And if you look at the periods right before that, returns are actually, the returns from dividends are actually higher than the returns from the stocks because they've done so poorly. So not only does it give you high returns over the life, it also provides a shield when, when the market's not doing it as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and thinking along those lines, the, the REIT that I was talking about, the dividend yield and the return on that is around 6 or 7%. So even without share appreciation or the company growing the price of the, of the stock, I'm still making 6 or 7% just from the dividend alone, which I'm guaranteed to get. And so, again, that's just another bonus on top of buying a great company. And you mentioned Microsoft, you know, they pay a dividend, they've paid a a growing dividend for a long time. And it's a, another bonus of investing in a company like that. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. 
create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, it it really is. What's sad, though, is... You know, th- there's there's been a move away from dividends, and it's something that I think, again, kind of going back to to calling myself an old folk or a boomer, it's something that companies really used to do a lot in the past. And as time has gone on, particularly in the last two to three decades, companies have really moved away from paying dividends. And so to be clear, it's not as easy to be a dividend investor as it was say 50 years ago where you could just throw a dart at the wall and get a company with a with a pretty juicy dividend you have to you have to look a lot harder nowadays and you have to be careful because a lot of times REITs your example and REITs are, are an exception because they're they're a special kind of investment vehicle that is made to to pay you dividends so you will see high yields on those just in general but you know when you look at other stocks during a bull market that have high yields 4%, 5%, 6%, there's a lot of value traps scattered within that because when a company's yield gets so high, a lot of times that can be because people don't like the stock. And a lot of times people don't like a stock for a good reason. It's because the business sucks. So you have to be careful not to chase yield while you're looking for these things, um, but it, you know you also want to make sure you're getting a decent yield too. For me, I I, I don't because my time frame is so long. Um, I don't care so much even if it's if it's like a point six percent yield. I don't I don't care too particularly bad about that. But I do want to see it grow over time, and that's something I prioritize when I look at my investments. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. So uh, one of the things that I guess I wanted to touch on with a thought that I had about the, the dividend yield and, and chasing the yield. I know that, uh, there are companies out there that pay really nice dividends and have, have done it consistently. But the, the flip side of that, like you were saying, the, the challenge of finding good companies that pay a great dividend, a, a company that springs to mind is AT&T. It's not a value trap. It's it's not necessarily a company that's in jeopardy of going out of business per se. But one of the things that I know that frustrates the, the heck out of people that invest in the company is there just doesn't seem to be much share appreciation. And it pays a great dividend and it, 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 it encourages a lot of income investors to, to partake of, of owning that company. But I think what frustrates a lot of people that have bought that company is that the shares don't really appreciate the, the price just doesn't seem to go up much. And it's kind of trades within a range of, you know, $28 to $34, give or take. And it doesn't really fluctuate much. And. So there isn't a lot of uh, growth in, in that realm. And so I know that frustrates a lot of people with the, with the income investing part of it. So you mentioned something, uh, just a moment ago about how dividends have kind of, uh, decreased in importance, I guess, or focus in, in the capital allocation section of the world. So I guess kind of talk a little bit about that. What, is, what do you mean by that? So, you know, if you, you go to the basics of what a company can do with its money, there, there's, there's several options. So, so a company makes a profit. They can let the profit sit as cash in their balance sheet. Um, they can take those profits. And like I said, they could give them back to shareholders as a dividend. They can repurchase shares and they can also reinvest in the business, whether that's buying more assets or, acquiring another company um, um, for future growth. But but those two things right there, the dividends or the share buybacks, those are those are both ways to help shareholders and, and basically increase total return for shareholders. So as a shareholder, if I get a dividend, um, obviously that gives me an instant return and it's a tangible return. I have this cash that's back in my in my brokerage account. Share buybacks work in a somewhat similar way in that they reduce the shares outstanding. So what that means is, is the pie, your, your part of the pie gets a little bit bigger. And so because everybody, all the shareholders are getting this, this little bit of the pie that's a little bit bigger. Um, it, it causes. It causes growth because things like earnings per share, which is what the market tends to price stocks on, at least most of the time, that that rises as as a company buys back shares. So you get return as a shareholder because you're getting that growth, uh, but it's it's not as tangible, it's not as visible, and it's not as instantaneous. So there's a lot of good things about share buybacks, and there's a lot of good things about dividends. Um, but what we've seen is that in the past couple of decades, Wall Street has really, really cheered the idea of share buybacks, and they like to see very aggressive share buybacks. And it does, it does result in, in really high earnings per share. And so it like creates this self-perpetuating loop of, of high stock prices. 
And so companies continue to do it because Wall Street likes it. And there's no problem with that. But at a certain point, when a company spends too much on buying back shares, they can actually start to do things that are not constructive to the shareholder. And it's kind of like lighting cash on fire in a way if if they're buying these shares back at too expensive of prices. And the reason for that is because, well, you know, you took you took this dollar that should have been mined in the dividend and you used it to to kind of prop up your metrics. I, I get that that helps me, but if you only propped up your metrics by like two percent, that you could have given me a dollar in dividend and that would have been like a six percent boost to me, then you're not as a shareholder and as a manager, you're not aligning with what's good for me because you're only earning a fraction of what I should have been able to earn on that. And so that's kind of what can happen on the opposite end, like the 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 dark side of share buybacks. And you know, we have seen that at some companies. I remember Dave, you probably you probably long forgot about it, but I remember you did a blog post about some companies that were that were really destroying shareholder value through that. And so while there's a lot of good things that companies can do, when the market in general starts to move away from dividends and replace it with either too expensive share buybacks or too expensive acquisitions where they're swallowing up these other companies but paying obscene prices for them, then you know over time, shareholders will not get as high as a total of a total return. And it really comes to light when you have bear markets and crises where all of a sudden these companies realize that these things that they pay money for aren't worth anything. And then you'll see huge losses, huge crashes, all that whole self-perpetuating cycle upwards collapses like a house of cards downwards. And it, it's, it's really a, a not, uh, it's an unfortunate place to be as a shareholder. And so that's why, when you're buying these companies, you have to look for that balance between, you know, giving a good amount in dividends, giving a a good amount in share buybacks, and and making good capital allocations, um, in other ways. And so there's there's different metrics to help you do that, and that's something that if you're digging deep into companies, it's definitely worth looking into. I guess tell me a little bit more about that. I'm I'm curious to to know more about the I guess some of the metrics that we could use to give us an idea of whether the company is doing right by us or not. One is shareholder yield. And so this is something that was mentioned by Meb Faber. And we actually talked about it. We we did a whole episode on it on IFB seventy two. But basically what 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 it does is you try to look at a Percentage. So similar to the way you know when you when you calculate the dividend yield percentage, you're looking at what's the dividend the company is giving me, how much am I paying for it, and then what's that percentage of return I'm getting year after year after year. Um, for the shareholder yield, there's a similar equation. I don't really want to get into the specifics, but uh, yeah, I would say episode 72 would be a good spot to to learn all about that. Okay, yeah, that's great. Uh, so I guess along those lines. You mentioned the the blog post that I that I wrote a while back. I, I do remember some of the companies. Uh, there was a Boeing, McDonald's, and Caterpillar uh, were all guilty of manipulating share prices via buybacks because it benefited 
the CEOs as well as other management. And if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think all three of the leaders of those companies have all been fired since uh, because it became apparent that they were manipulating things such that they benefited from that. And the way that they benefited from that was their stock compensation was tied to different metrics. And one of the metrics was earnings per share. And so as earnings per share increased because of the buybacks, as opposed to the actual performance of the business, then the CEOs were able to get stock options, which they were able to increase the price of because they were able to, as Andrew said, Wall Street loves earnings and they love earnings that go up. And so when earnings go up, generally the stock price that goes up most of the time. <laughs> That's so 2019 anyway, but, uh, so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, that's how the the CEOs used buybacks to their own further gain. And so I guess that's one of the things when you're doing some research on any company is trying to look at some of those aspects to determine if, like Andrew was saying, the their interests align with us, the shareholders, or with themselves. And, you know, when you find people that are doing those things for themselves, then that's probably not going to be the best investment for you in the long run. I'll try to give an example, and and let's be clear: like this isn't a real world example, but I'll just use it for illustrative purposes. So let's say we were running McDonald's as an example, and McDonald's had all this cash, and so what they could have done with it, let's say they identified Chipotle at an early age, you know, and so I I think they did actually have Chipotle. Maybe that's a bad example. Let's say Chick Fil A. Let's say uh, they they saw Chick Fil A and they could have invested or they could have bought they could have bought that company at a, at a decent price and they decided not to, and instead they decided to just buy back shares. And then let's say there was another opportunity to expand to, uh, you know, some booming city in Florida, but it was going to be pricey, and you know they weren't going to see a return on that investment right away. And so instead of doing something smart for the long term and, and opening a restaurant in this new expensive city, they decided to just buy back more shares because that would prop stuff up for them immediately. And so a company that continues to do things like this, yeah, they'll grow, but they won't grow like they should have because they didn't make good investments with the cash that they had. And so that does eventually come back to to bite the company. And then you can get into situations like I believe, Dave, uh, at least one of them, I think were, was was borrowing money to make these share buybacks, and that's that's a whole nother thing because now you're literally mortgaging your future in order to get these immediate boosts to EPS, and that's that's just not a good way to to treat the shareholder. So you know that that saying, "Boss makes a dollar, I make a dime." If management's making a dollar and shareholders only making a dime, something's not right there, and you know, being somebody who's focused on dividends, not to say it's going to fix all your problems or anything, but a, a lot of times paying a healthy rising dividend can force managements to have to be more prudent with their cash that, that they can allocate for, for the shareholders. And so you, you do get a sort of 
nice effect built into buying dividend stocks when that restriction is making companies double, you know, because because another thing that at least before 2020 and 2021, another thing that Wall Street didn't like to see was when a company would cut their dividend. Um, and so when you have that restriction as as a CEO, you're you're gonna try hard to 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 manage money wisely so you never deal with the situation like that. So that's where there can be another benefit of dividends. And you know, I, I hope I, I do like buybacks and I think with low interest rates and everything, I think there's a lot of great buybacks happening right now. And and it's it's tough with so much capital around. It's tough for companies to find good returns on their investment. I get all that. And I, I really do think there's there's a lot of good buybacks happening right now. But you know, I would like to see some sort of a a movement back towards dividends because I think in a lot of cases, especially with matured companies, there are there a lot of times isn't another good place for that cash. So if that's the case, you're gonna want to see that money come back to you and and you know, we'll see what happens. But these are things to keep in mind and and I think if I go back to the basics of what investing is, it really is receiving something for the money I'm putting out. And like Dave said, and he said it so eloquently and simply, it's free money and and and, and it, it comes at the cost of you putting your money with them. But it's it's something that investments do. It, they they work for you and they create income streams. And that's what a dividend's all about. And so if you can remember that when it comes to your investments, you can save yourself from a lot of heartache from companies and managements who won't even think twice to pay a dividend and shareholders do and will get burned and they always do. And it, it's it's nice to be in situations where you're you're kind of sticking to the stuff that's more consistent and reliable. Over the long run, it's it's a lot less of a headache, helps you sleep at night. And if that's not a definition of a margin of safety, I don't know what else is. All right, folks. Well, with that, we are going to go ahead and wrap up for the conversation for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on dividends and buybacks. They are definitely a great advantage and definitely something you should take it, take advantage of when you can. Uh, like I said, and like Andrew reiterated, it's free money. Well, who doesn't want free money? So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. Go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.